Welcome to the Vegan Family Kitchen podcast. My name is Brigitte Jem and I am your host and it is my pleasure today to welcome Karen Steiner with me on the podcast. Hi, Karen. Hi. Good to see you. Karen is a weight loss coach. She's a food activist and also a meditation teacher, which I think is a fantastic combination. Professionally, she has a master's degree in counseling and educational psychology. She has trained as a life coach through the Coactive Training Institute, and she also has a certificate in plant-based nutrition from the T. Colin Campbell Center for Nutrition Studies at Cornell University. After almost 40 years of contemplative practice and studying with teachers in the Buddhist, Christian, and even Jewish tradition, she finally just recently, as we're going to talk about today, learned how to take her mindfulness practice off the cushion and into the kitchen. And I am delighted that we are going to talk about that today. Thank you for being here, Karen. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. It's fantastic. We, uh, I have to say, we met on Focusmate, yes. which is a funny place to meet people. Um, and I am, uh, we kind of connected talking about, you know, what exactly are you doing? And I was like, oh, this is so interesting what you're doing. And so I'd like to start by um, bringing our audience up to speed onto uh, your journey. Uh, where did you start and where are you right now in as um, far as plant-based uh, plant-based eating is concerned? Well, back in 1984, a long time ago, I read Diet for a Small Planet. And it really opened my eyes. Um, it was, you know, the whole it really made me start looking at my choices of food as not just going to the grocery store and buying something for myself, but it's a much larger system. And, um, and then the choices that we make have some role in that system. And that was, that was eye-opening. And I went vegetarian immediately and never looked back, um, never missed meat, um, but I was eating cheese and dairy and eggs. Um, and I've had an issue with overeating all of my life. Um, and I've just haven't been able to seem to, to, to get myself under control. I thought going vegetarian would help, but it didn't. And it turns out that it was really the, the dairy that was the problem. But um, I also, just about the same time I read Diet for a Small Planet, I started a contemplative practice and I've been practicing all these years. And it was just about seven, well, maybe eight or nine years ago at this point, I, I said to my therapist at the time, I, I think my spiritual practice can help me with this. And she was kind of, yeah, uh-huh whatever. <laughs> she, didn't, <laughs> she didn't think it was going to work. Um, but as I started to um, pay attention to food in a different way, um, part of the whole mindfulness practice is to be content with the present moment, to accept the present moment without judgment, 
with openness and curiosity. And I discovered, um, yeah, it was just about uh, nine years ago, a little, yeah, Janine Roth wrote a book called Women, Food, and God. And I had the privilege of uh, joining her for a weekend workshop. And it was also something, it was kind of dizzying, it, it, but it also confused me a little bit because I was saying, how is looking at my eating patterns with openness and curiosity going to help me? It didn't have any, didn't really have any sense that that was going to help me, but I was willing to give it a try. And one of the interesting things um, is a few months later, I went out uh, to, to dinner with a friend at a Mexican restaurant. You know how they bring you the, the chips and salsa. And oh. I was sitting there and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going through the whole mental thing, that the, the internal dialogue that I always go through, but I was kind of aware of it on a different level. It's like, I shouldn't, oh, but they look so good. Well, I'll just have a few. Just have, I can't say no to these. I just have a few. Of course, I start eating. One of the things I noticed um, was the, the flavor, you know, the, the, the crunch of the chip and the saltiness and the tang and slight sweetness of the tomatoes. And it was just, that was what was driving me to put my fist in, say one more. And of course, then I'd fallen into what I, I know is now is the was, just one more trap. Just one more. Just one more. Oh, I have to stop now. Oh, just one more. Now, this is the last one. I have to stop now. And just, just going over this in my mind. And I ate, oh God, I ate so much that night that, um, and of course, my friend who was with me, she had a few, she had a few chips and she's like, okay, I have to save room for my dinner. And she put them away. And when we were leaving in the car and I was like, oh, I am so full. Oh, I was bloated and just feeling all kinds of guilt and shame. And, and she did kind of say, well, why did you keep eating those chips? And that was like, okay. The interesting thing was it didn't change my behavior in the moment, but it changed the impact. It changed because one of the things that I saw clearly was the mechanism, the flavor, and how that flavor was almost just inducing this craving to go and get more. Um, that's when I started to realize uh, I was addicted to what I've come to call the holy trinity, salt, fat, and crunch. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm, I'm not about deprivation at all, but I had to get real about the addiction. And because that compulsion for me to reach for another one was something that was pretty much out of my conscious control. So what I brought into consciousness was that feeling, that compulsion to go. But um, the conscious control for me to say, stop, don't do it. Couldn't do it. I mean, and that I think it doesn't matter whether you're over drinking or overeating or whatever. Um, it, it's that, that compulsion to reach for more that 
and looking at it clearly and then with compassion as well because the whole piece of mindfulness meditation is is compassion compassion for yourself and compassion for other people and one of the things is when especially those of us who have been overweight for a lifetime have this feeling of Uh, we've internalized those feelings of aggression toward ourselves and the, the feeling of um, that there's something wrong with us. And of course, it's our fault. And, you know, Dr. Michael Greger, who is well known in the plant-based world, um, just did a whole series of videos on how fat people are marginalized, marginalized in the healthcare system. And I, in an in a past life many years ago did anti-racism training and there's something called internalized oppression and that is any marginalized group actually can internalize that marginalization and start and, and start projecting it onto themselves this is pretty common and as a large person that's what I was doing. And I know that a lot of people do that because, you know, because we've been treated. It's the way we've been treated. And we start treating ourselves like that. The problem is it's like any, it's like having an inter internal bully. You know, if you're being bullied on the playground and then you try to placate the bully by changing yourself, it only makes the bullying worse. It doesn't change anything. And you can't bully yourself into changing your habits. It's it's just like you can't hate yourself and then end up liking yourself because, because you've lost weight. You have to actually learn to like yourself regardless of what you weigh. And, you know, people have actually said to me, wait a minute, you want to like me to like myself because I'm fat? And it's like, well, no, I want you to like yourself because you're a human being on this earth and you yeah. deserve respect. It's the first step, not yeah. something you give yourself permission to do once you've reached your goal. Right, right. Wow. Um, I, I need to ask you something um, to... Where do we draw a line between, uh, you mentioned, you know, a, a kind of a lifetime of overeating. So what, what is overeating? When does it become, like, where's the line where it becomes food addiction? Like, because yeah. a lot of people eat too many chips and regret it, you know, <laughs> but it, it's not an existential problem for everybody. So, yeah. That's, and you know, the interesting thing is not all uh, food addictions look alike. Uh, you know, like I have way more problems with chips than I do with cookies, which okay. I know <laughs> a lot of people are <laughs> surprised, but um, so what I ask my clients to do is to look at not just how they're eating the food, but also look at how you're thinking about the food. So for instance, you if, if there's something um, in your kitchen, are you thinking about it when you're not in the kitchen? Are you thinking about, or are you just thinking about it whenever you walk in the kitchen? Or are you not really thinking about it until you open the door and you see the package? 
Right. And then you have to say no to yourself. If you have to say no to yourself every time you open the door and see the package, that's an indication that there's probably a problem because every time you say no to yourself, you're going to be closer to yes. And if that yes is one cookie or two, and you can put it down and it's not a problem and you've paid attention to how you're how you're reacting to it, um, that's great. Then that's not a problem. If you've enjoyed the cookie. Maybe. And if you've enjoyed the cookie, yes. But if you've eaten the cookie, and this is actually a client of mine had this had this issue she ate her cookie mindfully and it was one was tasted fine it was plenty and she put the package away as soon as her attention faltered which happens all the time as soon as she got on autopilot she discovered she was in the cupboard reaching for the cookies again right um i do think it's really important to keep to keep your environment clean and that is, um, you know, like for me, chips just cannot be in the house at all. I have chip radar. You know? <laughs> um, so for instance, if there were a bag of chips in the house, I would be thinking about it all the time. I would know where they were located in the kitchen and my mind would be there with them. Uh, and I would be, they, they would be gone in two days. If, you know, even a big pound bag gone. I would just sit there and eat, 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 eat. Um, the, the cookies, my husband, a uh, couple of, uh, well, this is a few years ago now, he, he bought a, a big uh, bag of cookies to take to a, some kind of event that he was going to, and they didn't eat them. So he brought them home and they sat on the shelf. And I said, no to myself every time I opened that uh, that cupboard. Um, and that was probably two months, two or three months they were sitting there. And I said no to myself every time. And then one day I was in a really bad mood. And I picked Heck up the cookies it. and I ate half the bag. And I felt horrible afterwards. So, you know, the question is, are you thinking about it all the time? Um, that's one one way you can ask yourself, are, um, are you thinking about it? Um, are you having to say no to yourself every time you open the cupboard? You know, for instance, I have alcohol. Alcohol can be addictive. And I have many friends who are recovering alcoholics. I have a bottle of wine in the kitchen. I know where it is. Do I think about it? No. Do I drink it once in a while? very rarely but you know i put some in spaghetti sauce sometimes <laughs> um but it's not something that's on my mind i'm not saying no to myself so you know you had swear you have to pay attention um there are some things my husband especially since he's been working from home now um i have had to say he used to take them to the office and i've had to say if you have it in the house, I don't want to know. You hide it in your office. I don't even want to know you have it because I will go looking for it. And it's, um, do you have Trader Joe's in Canada? 
Uh, we don't, but you we, don't. We, uh, we know very well about it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, they make these sesame sticks. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I will eat them until I don't feel good. I literally, I will just, I, I will just sit and shovel them in my mouth. And um, I just finally said to him, I oh, like the savory things, not the sweet ones, but the the savory ones. Yeah, like chips almost. But yeah, yes, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, um, and you know, I I can't have them. So that that's the you have to draw your own line with your own foods because you know. Now, for instance, I can have date dates on the shelf. I always have them. There was a jar. I use them pretty often uh, to sweeten things, and I don't graze on them. Figs, on the other hand, I, I'll I'll eat. I'll just I'll just graze on them constantly if they're sitting there. I have to have them on a shelf up high in the dining room. I'm not thinking about them. Um, I have a client who told me and. Um, did she's the opposite. She actually, she doesn't like dates or she doesn't like figs that much, but it was the dates that she needed. the entire So I want to go back in, in just a moment, um, to kind of backtrack on how you came to be in recovery. And I'm aware that, um, mm -hmm. there were major health changes involved for you once that happened, but I just want to close the loop on something. So my, um, I guess I could say this publicly, I think it's an addiction. I have a, a strong connection to social media that in many ways <laughs> is similar to what you're talking about there with food. I don't think very much about the cookies, but I do think about checking certain channels on a, on a regular basis. And being a small business owner on the internet is a, a really big trigger to keep that very much alive. Um, but I've taken a lot of steps in my life to keep that in check, to be mindful about it, to protect myself from falling into rabbit holes. And it's working pretty well, but I consider myself a life and, and I'm a lifetime procrastinator, which goes with it. And I consider myself for life, not healed from procrastination, but a lifetime procrastinator that's in recovery, right? Yeah. And that, because I think in the past, I've been in places where I thought I was healed and that's when, you know, you just go back quite easily. But so thinking of myself as being in recovery has been really helpful um, in continuing those systems that yes. keep me um, safe from those places that really didn't make me happy. So when I listen to you talking, I have the impression that there's something similar there that even oh, though, yeah. I mean, today you're coaching people, you're leading programs, you're helping others dealing with their food addiction. But the way I hear you talk, it's not like you're over it. Does that? Oh, I will never be over it. I, I, um, you know, at this point, I don't really want chips anymore. But the whole idea of going back and eating them moderately and just getting a handful, I know that what will happen is if they're in the house, I'll have a handful and, and the first day will be fine. The first day, the first month or two may be fine but it's going to be one handful and then two and then three and then I say what the heck I'll just I'll just eat what I want you know and I'll just go back to it and because I've tried to moderate this stuff too many times in my life and moderation if moderation works if it feels right 
and it doesn't feel like a problem, then that's not, a, you know, if moderation can work. And maybe even, it's not an addiction. If, moderation if it's not, works. then it's yeah. not an addiction. But if you have to, if moderation is hard, if you have to white knuckle it, if you have to, um, you know, if, if craving is, is really hard and, and then, you know, I, so many times I've actually asked myself, what's so hard about this? Why can't I just have, you know, just choose, I'd be, I'd be at a potluck. Um, and you know, there's the dessert table is always over laden with, with good stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I'd say, okay, I'm just going to choose one. That's all. That's, that's my, my practice. I'll choose one. So I'll choose one. And that works for the first, the first week or the first month. And then I'm choosing one, I make my choice. And then I say, oh, but Sherman brought his brownies. <laughs> oh, they're so good. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll cut it in half, you know, and then I'll just have half of one, you know, and then, but that's, that's the, that's the slippery slope. And once you start on that slippery slope, it's, it's, it's down again. My environment is clean. I don't have anything in the house. And there are times that I go into the kitchen, just really feeling like I want something to eat, whether I'm hungry or not. And there is nothing. And that's by design. Anything I ha I have to get out, I have to prepare it. Right. Because there is just, I know, outside of a crisp bread and some hummus or uh, dry popcorn, that's it, or fruit. Right. And I figure if I don't want that, then I'm not hungry. My mom used to say that. <laughs> if you don't want <laughs> peanut butter toast, you're probably not hungry. <laughs> and she was right. Moms are often right. Um, I'd like to go back in time uh, a little bit to because you've you've mentioned you're becoming vegetarian with diet for a small planet um and your first forays into mindfulness but what what happened to you um that brought you to the door where you were ready prepared perhaps uh to make bigger changes in your life and and what happened what did you do oh it was kind of a slow process um but you know, I read Diet for a Small Planet, so I'd always been thinking about food issues, but then I saw Food Inc. and read Michael Pollan's In Defense of Food, and that sort of got me back to thinking about food systems. And then I read David Kessler's The End of Overeating, which is a book about neuroscience and how food companies are exploiting uh, our, and actually have researched ways to make food more addictive yep and michael moss has also written from the perspective of food placement and um and marketing the same thing and you know i read those two books it was fat sugar salt how the food giants hooked us is michael moss's book and i got mad I was like, how dare you? I mean, I can look at a certain brand of potato chips and I know that they have been made to hook right into my food addiction. Um, and um, I, how dare you mess with me like this? Which is, why, which is part of the reason I call myself a food activist as well. Because this is, this is something that's um, 
really near and dear to my heart. And I'll say this as an aside, another, another talk that I give, a presentation, which I've given to a number of faith communities, is the political economic context of overeating. Um, yep. And it sort of looks at food justice issues and, um, you know, food scarcity or food insecurity and food deserts. And, and so it looks at um, political and government, uh, agricultural and um, ag economic policies. So, um, but that's like, that's not germane to what we're talking about right now but well, i think it's art. fully connected i, I have yeah, this it's, article it's about um, why why people hate cooking right I, I think it's totally part of that and there's some really really big societal forces at play right that take us there so we can park it for today but a conversation for another day yeah so, it is it is yeah, a conversation so keep, keep for going day. about your your transition to uh so um I got mad. I also got uh, about this time had just come to the conclusion that I was just going to live my I was just going to have to live myself as an overweight woman because I just wasn't going to go on another diet ever, ever again. I'd lost weight in my mid my mid uh, 40s. And of course, I gained it all back by the time I was 50 and I was miserable. And um, I just like, OK. And I think that that was also part of the self-acceptance thing that I'm talking about. I mean, it was kind of laying the foundation because once you start being kinder to you, yourself up here, you start to want to be kinder to yourself all, all around. You know, you start just, just treating yourself better. And when you treat yourself better, you feed yourself better. Um, and then it was Janine Ross workshop and eventually I had to really looking, and that was the mindfulness practice that made me see that cheese, that dairy was not sitting well with me at all. I didn't think anything tastes, I mean, I was eating a lot of healthy food, but I didn't think it tasted good unless it was buried under a mountain of cheese. And um, so I, you know, and a lot of, a lot of the earlier days I kept thinking, oh, I'm, this is, you know, I'm eating all these carbs. Isn't this, this is really awful. I'm eating too many carbs. And finally I realized it was the cat, it was the cheese. I didn't know about calorie density at the time, but uh, I think I saw Dr. Furman on PBS. Uh, he had a, a special on public television that I saw and I thought, oh, okay, this is making sense to me. Um, and I tried moderating cheese for a long time and I just couldn't. And then one day I said, why don't I give it up for two weeks? That's it. Just a two week experiment. I gave it up. Oh, and I also have to say, um, the other thing that happened in this time period is I went to New Zealand. I had great time. I did a lot of cool things, but New Zealand is a gorgeous country. It's just drop dead gorgeous. And 90% of that gorgeousness you can't see from the road. And I couldn't do any hiking or walking oh. because, and not that I couldn't do any, but I had to do only the easy hikes. I couldn't, like, there was a waterfall that everybody said I should see, but it was a half, um, um, half an hour walk through native bush 
and it was a kind of un, a, a section of uneven and steep terrain and I knew I couldn't do it sorry and, why, why could you not do it oh my knees my knees were terrible I mean I I weighed I was I'm four foot 11 and I weighed 220 pounds which is is pretty 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 heavy it was a morbidly obese BMI there's there was a lot of you Yes, there was a lot of me. <laughs> and um, I, I just couldn't do it. And the, the truth is everything hurt. My knees hurt. My, you know, my feet were pretty sore. And, you know, I knew that there were there, there had to be knee replacements in my future. And my feet were killing me. And I knew that, you know, you could have your knees replaced, but you can't have your feet replaced. And you were 50 then, right? I was, at uh, that point, I was 55. Right. And I just, I had to do something. So when I gave up dairy, it was a two-week experiment. And I felt better. Even after just two weeks, I'd lost seven pounds without trying. It was probably a lot of water weight, but um, I was... I just felt like I had a little bit more energy and I thought, well, maybe I'm onto something here. So I um, said, all right, I have to extend this and make it a full six weeks. So I extended it another month. At the end of a month, I said, this I think is what I need. I Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give it another six months or six total months. So um I started in the middle of December, and so I gave myself a June 30th deadline um, to say, okay, that's when I'll make the decision. Am I going to give up dairy completely? Of course, by the time June 30th came along, I was like, I, there's no way I'm going back. <laughs> um, but once I gave it up, that's when, you know, once that's I hit that six-week mark and I said I'm going to go to six months, the craving started horrible horrible pizza oh my god I wanted pizza so badly and it lasted um I would say if it started in the middle of February beginning of February yeah um and lasted in at least into the beginning of April. So it was two months of really intense cravings. Now there's been some scientific research. Cravings last, if you can make something, I think they've said standard two weeks. Um, but I think if there's an addiction, it's gonna be gonna be longer or it can be longer. And um so I was, yeah, big time craving. And um, this is where a lot of psychologists don't get food addiction, unless they've actually had a problem themselves. Because I said something to the therapist I was um, seeing at the time, and she said, well, why don't you just go out and have one slice of pizza if you're craving pizza so badly? The thing is, I was talking to two other friends, both of them are PhD psychologists, and they both said the same thing. 
why don't you just go out and have a slice of pizza? I didn't because there was something in me that said that was going to be counterproductive. That was really just going to ignite my cravings and make it worse. Not and I wonder if they would have told somebody who said they were an alcoholic, why don't you go have a drink? Probably not. I think it's because they just don't equate food addiction with the same as alcohol. When there is actually very good research that shows that sugar lights up the same area of the brain as heroin and alcohol, that's the pleasure pathways. It's not as um, not as high, not as violent, maybe, and not as intense, but it's still it's still doing it. It's still it's powerful. Yes, it is still a powerful and it's addictive. How did you, um, I mean, for lack of a better word, resist those cravings? Like, what what did you do to not um, overeaters anonymous? I went to uh, some Overeaters Anonymous meetings. They, um, I've tried them in the past, and I think their 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 program, working the program, is very restrictive, um, way too rigid for me. But in that moment, I really needed to be in a room full of people who got me, and these are people who really understand what it's like to be totally out of control with food. So that was really helpful. Um, I, I think I went to one OA or AA meeting just because it was near my house. Um, but just, I mean, I, I'm not going to indict the entire AA community, but I went to this one meeting and they kind of was like, well, we're open to the public. We're open to anybody, but you're not really addicted. You know, this is alcohol. <laughs> and I was hoping it, right? that they I mean, obviously... Uh, you know, they there. were near my house and also they were meeting at a time of day when it was my worst, my worst craving time, um, which I thought would be, be helpful, but they kind of, you know, if you're, if you're addicted to alcohol, please come, but they didn't actually say they didn't want me there, but I really got the vibe that, that it really wasn't appropriate for me to be there. So, um, I got an accountability partner. I found a friend who was trying to make changes in her life, very different from mine, but we got together once a week and we talked about what we were doing and we texted each other when we did what we said we were going to do. And for me, it was taking a walk. If I went out and took my walk every day, I, I would text her and she texted me when she did what she said she was going to do. And that was extraordinarily helpful. Um, I started going to a, um, a a contemplative group, actually two contemplative um, meditation groups that I was going to at the time. So, yeah, I was I was getting as much support as I could because going it alone, just toughing it out, was not going to work. So tell me how how do you live and eat now what works for you what have you found to be what works um i eat a lot of vegetables a lot of vegetables <laughs> what do you mean by a lot <laughs> well yeah i mean that's it um well 
I would say every meal has, uh, or at least lunch and dinner, four cups of uncooked vegetables. A little bit, you know, probably comes down to two, two and a half per, when it, once it's cooked. Right, right, right. Um, okay, you don't eat them raw necessarily. Okay. Um, well, in, in the summer, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, dinner is a, always a salad. And, you know, it's a serving bowl size salad. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I, I put these two, two serving bowls filled with, and not lettuce. I mean, maybe have one leaf of lettuce to kind of add a little lightness or sweetness to the, to the mix. But, you know, spinach, arugula, shredded cabbage, baby kale, um, Carrots, um, fennel. Oh, I love chopped fennel in salads. And um, and and you know, I have a lot of fruit bushes in my yard. So when it's in season, I love blueberries on salad and it's raspberries. Good. Yeah. So yeah, um, and in the um, in the winter, I really when it's cold, I can't bear. I really can't bear a cold bowl of salad. So <laughs> I, hear um, you. I make a lot of soup, mm -hmm. make a lot of vegetable stir fries without so, oil. So you also um, eat whole grains and beans, oh, I suppose? Yes, lots of beans, lots of whole grains, um, sweet potatoes. I love to chop up a sweet potato and put it on my salad. Um, and um, I, I actually, for breakfast, I have a smoothie with um, red beets and kale, as well as blueberries and pineapple. Mm, that would be pretty good. Yes. I, yeah. <laughs> um, I want to just take a little bit of a sidetrack for a moment to ask you about something that I, I've been struggling with in my conversations with um, people who are in the intuitive eating, mindful eating sphere, um, which is the issue of, because um, I mean, I, as I understand it, you seem to think that a whole foods plant-based diet is a really helpful tool when one is, is trying to recover from food addiction and eat better and improve their health. How, how do we connect the two? Uh, because I find sometimes that in the intuitive eating community, there's a, a strong reluctance to limit or to label some foods as, let's say, healthier than others. I'm, I'm taking some shortcuts there, but I think yeah, you know what, yeah. what I mean. Well, what I do with my clients, I don't require that they go plant-based. Certainly they know I am. I don't make any, I don't, I don't hide that fact. Um, but as what I've noticed is several of them, as they've paid attention to what they've been eating, they realize that plants make them feel better. The more they, the more plants they eat. And um, sometimes what's harder for me to counter is because I talk about calorie density um, is that things like oils, you know, you have this little tablespoon of oil and a big bowl of salad 
and they have the same amount of cat, they have the same number of calories. And yes, yeah. you do need a little fat in your diet, but little is the optimum word. And what they say is, oh, oil, it's good for you. Glug, 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 glug. Right. And you know, you can very easily triple the calories in a salad um, right. by, by putting a, an oily dressing on it. And um, so what I want to try to do is I'm going to give you the science. This is what, you know, this is what research is showing. Research is showing that, you know, animals, people who eat animal or who eat a lot more plants, people eat the healthier they are. Yes. And so, you know, I can give you I can give you the science and the facts behind this, but you have to make the decisions on your own. Um, because one of my eating guidelines is own your food choices. Don't um, not eat something or eat something because I said it or Chef AJ or you know Dr. Greger. Um, eat it um, because you have taken responsibility for what you're for what you're putting in your mouth. Um, and the best I can do is I can give you the science, but if you don't wanna, um, you know, if you don't wanna make that change. Um, and I would say that over, I mean, one of one of the other things is I, I teach as patients uh, because we want change and we want it now and we want it to be fast. Yeah. And- um, Instant gratification takes time. And in fact, you know, the Behavior Design Lab at Stanford University has done a lot of research into habit change, and it's actually um, small habits done consistently over time are actually much more effective than sweeping big changes um, done all at once. Yes. So... So if someone wants to continue this conversation with you, wants to learn from you, um, what, how, how can they connect with you? Well, my website is karensteiner.com. And um, I am, um, can I talk about the class now? Yeah, no, go ahead. Okay. Tell me. Uh, well, I'm going to be teaching a class and it's uh, starting next week. Um, Excuse me. I'll also be running it in uh, January a second, another time. It's called Breaking the Food Seduction, One Mindful Bite at a Time. It's a three-session class. So the class yes. is called Breaking, okay. the Foods, Breaking the Food Seduction, One Mindful Bite at a Time. And we um, it'll be December 7th, 14th, and 21st. And I release videos every week that you can watch at your, uh, your convenience. And then we get together. And we will talk about, particularly about holiday eating. So rather than thinking about this as restriction and we're gonna not gonna eat this holiday, we're gonna support each other. Um, what we're going to do is use the holiday as a lab and to learn something about ourselves and about how we're, how we're eating and how we're feeling about food. And um, so, it's it's really a whole experiment in in learning what mindful eating can do for you and let's look at what we can learn from it. That sounds fantastic. I, um, 
those who need it will reach out to you. You can also be seen on social media. And, yes, I have um, a YouTube channel. You send, you send great emails and I love, I love your YouTube channel too. It's a great place to, to start getting to know you better. All right. All right. Well, thank you. Thank so you much. so much for being with me today, Karen. That was fantastic. And uh, I enjoyed it. I will make sure to put um, all of those links in the show notes. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Bye.